Okay. Okay. So, good morning. Um, how are you going, Michael? I'm great. I'm great. I'm at the beach at Majimba. Nice. And it's, yeah, it's a little bit chilly, but it's a beautiful day. Yeah, it's that cold wind. So, I'm excited that this is our first little chat. We've been talking about this for ages and yeah. um, we decided let's just do it and, and see, see where it goes. Um, and, you know, we really just want to get... Um, this style of meditation out more into the broader um, community, um, the style of instinctive meditation. Um, yeah, Absolutely. talk about our experiences and, and you know what distinguishes it from you know maybe what's perceived as a more traditional approach to meditation. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought maybe we could start with you letting us know about. You and your your what what brought you to meditation and what was your journey and, and how did you come across this um, instinctive meditation approach? Sure, sure. If I go back a long time, because I can, because I've got grey hair, right? <laughs> my mum, my mum was practicing yoga and meditation when I was in utero, pretty well. You know, she was doing she was doing pregnancy yoga, mums and bubs yoga, and I suppose the first my first recollection of meditation light was when I was about ten, eleven, twelve, lying on the floor listening to cassettes about floating in the clouds. You know, and she probably had us lying on the grass looking at the clouds and just being with ourselves and the space around us. So that's my first real recollection of medita meditation practice which was pretty perfect to start with, you know, long before Patanjali came into my awareness or anything else. And uh, did a yoga teacher training 10, 2010, 2009, 2010. And that's when it became difficult, I think, sitting cross-legged and trying to clear my mind of thoughts and stuff like that. You know, and there was a few, a long, lot of, lot of sitting still, and every now and then there'd be some quiet, but a little bit of slapping around the head, I suppose, and saying, oh, "I'm not doing this right. This is too, this is hard." So it was, it was quite, it was very disciplined. Mm. You mm. will sit down, you will sit still, you will focus at the point between the eyebrows and try and find this purple light and then a shining star in there and that type of stuff. And that was pretty well, that was the instruction. And that sounds like pretty normal. Like that's what a lot of people think meditation is, I think. And, and it's the, the initiation of meditation for many people, but I'm, I'm curious what happened. Well, I suppose as everybody has life changes and I had to move through cycles and had a life change and, um, I was listening to to Matt Khan, who was talk, starting to talk about loving, just loving, just being in love with with everything pretty well. Um, and then through a Facebook thread, I found that you were having a workshop, and I hadn't even met you at that stage. I think it was 2016. Yeah. Um, you were having a workshop with Lauren and Camille, Lauren Roche and Camille Maureen. 
at um the sunshine at the sunshine coast and i said i'm going there i don't know what it was <laughs> it's just like i'm going to have that weekend with those people and within five minutes of seeing lauren and camille together sitting out the front of the room on the floor at the same level as everybody else and the way that they looked at each other and the way that they looked at people i said whatever you're doing i want what you've got <laughs> you know it was like it was like i don't i don't know what it is but but there was there was there was there was a feeling in the room of of um love basically mm. and it was a meditation practice that i was there for but it was this feeling of love that that was there so that was the start of the of my exposure to lauren and camille number one the radiant sutras which is lauren's true what's poetical transliteration of the vinyana bhava tantra and instinctive medita meditation that's mm. four years now mm -hmm. and, um every every day is every day is is brighter because of mm. that shift that mm. change mm. and the practice that goes with it yeah which is which is as we'll get i suppose speak more of later different to different in so many ways to to looking here closing the eyes and shooting for a star mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I'm just thinking. I, I've never actually thought about when I, when I do talk about my introduction to meditation. I, I don't often think about my childhood and, and how that impacted on my experience in terms of meditation. But but my childhood, um, my parents were well. I was raised quite left brain and scientific and and, and sort of analytic in my approach to life, really. And I was sort of conditioned i guess guess through my um upbringing to to be disciplined to work hard and to strive and to achieve and and so that was very natural for me and i i embraced that i would consider myself to be quite a type a person i i pushed and pushed and achieved and achieved you know i did well at school i did well in sports and um so i also was a, a child who was very curious about the mind and you know, I, I would read books on sort of theories of the mind in my teenage years and I would write poetry to try to figure out, you know, what, what these thoughts are and, and, and to, to, to try to understand um, human behaviour. So I, I still have these books of poems I wrote as a teenager. And um, sometimes I pick them up and I'm like, whoa, that's really quite intense for a teenage girl. Um, but, you know, I guess in some sense that sort of natural... Um, process that phase of life of trying to work it all out what life and and who am i and those sort of big questions and so i, I uh, you know did well at school i went to i went to university and i um signed up for a, a bachelor degree in science again very left brain and, and i thought okay i'm gonna go and i'm gonna move sort of in the field of medicine maybe in in drug design pharmaceutical <laughs> that's what i thought <laughs> that's so funny I, I was always into like health food and being healthy and 
as a kid that I thought that's that's where I need to be. And anyway, first semester, I realized I hated working in labs and um, uh, in terms of um, the repetitive process of testing things on agar plates and so anyway I took a big shift I, I continued on in my degree but I, I changed all my units and um, finished up with a degree in psychology so I loved studying psychology I was just fascinated by all the the theories and philosophies and studies and research on the human minds and um, the abnormal mind <laughs> abnormal psychology and um and and counseling and but at the end of it i was still sort of i completed the degree i got the piece of paper but i was 20 when i finished and i was like disillusioned i thought there's something still sort of not right something missing it, it all seems to pathologize the human mind like it's looking for something that's wrong and, you know, and looking to have some kind of intervention, whether that's pharmaceutical or, you know, um, more sort of therapeutic in terms of, of counselling and, and cognitive behavioural therapies to, to, to change and move back to what would be considered a normal sort of healthy mind. Uh, again, I was fascinated, but for me, there was something not right. I was like, but what about, I still, you know, I still just, what about me? <laughs> you know, what about us and relationships? And so as a curious and adventurous and, and still quite athletic um, young woman, I bought a ticket out of Australia. I traveled the world for seven years <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I really started to get into religion. I went and lived with a Muslim family. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. All these different religious rituals and practices they have. And then Hinduism, I, I just dove into Hinduism. And then finally I found Buddhism. And I was like, this is it. I was read every book I could. I attended workshops and, and lectures. I did the 10 day silent retreats. And I thought, this is it. They, they really, really articulate their theories of the mind in a very scientific analytic way. Mm very structured approach to understanding and taming this wild, crazy mind. And I was like, this is it. Shortly after my, I, I guess, well, so at some point during my sort of journey of, of Buddhism and, and trying to um, really bring the practices into my life and, and to try to still figure out this thing we call the mind, I found yoga. And yeah. this was just like, oh my gosh, I, I, I love movement. I, I was an athlete. I was a dancer. And then the combination of mind, body, breath, relaxation, I thought, this, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. So I found yoga um, in the year 2000. Um, in 2005, I decided I wanted to be a yoga teacher. So I didn't want to just, you know, just teach yoga poses. I was like, I really still want it. Like for me, the philosophies and the practice of meditation is really important. So I sort of sought high and low for the type of teacher training I wanted to, um, you know, sign up to. And I went to this place in Melbourne and I signed up for this. It was like an 18 month um, diploma in, in, they called it classical meditation, uh, classical yoga. And most of what we were taught and had to study and had to practice was meditation. 
And I thought, great, that's really what I want to know about it. And the Sanskrit, I, it's all the theories and philosophy that I want to really grasp and, and teach it because I think it's amazing. So I packed up, moved down to Melbourne and um, we had to have sort of, move, we, we were, had to attend asana class each week and then a meditation class each week and then attend like weekend trainings and we had to submit a journal each week. So we were instructed to meditate one hour a day yep. um, with the approach of Patanjali's style of meditation. And for, for any viewers who are not sure, Patanjali is kind of like the grandfather of yoga and he wrote this book called the Patanjali Yoga Sutras. And the opening line of the Yoga Sutras is, and from memory, is, is um, yoga is chitti vritti niroda. And, and so this has been translated as yoga is the cessation of the mind waves or the stopping of the mind, the stilling of the thoughts. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get an A+. Plus. I'm going to nail this. I'm like a high achiever. I'm going to stop, you know, I'm going to, just get this meditation thing. So I'll do the hour, I submit my journal and I would sit in my room and sit up straight and close my eyes. And then I'd give the, but I, I would just keep thinking about, you know, like what I was going to have for dinner and who I was going to hang out with after class. And um, I, I loved running. I was, a, I was a runner. And so I'd often sort of have these multi-sensory experiences of meditation of me running. For me, that was like a really meditative yeah. um, experience and and so i put all this in my journal my meditation journal and submit it each week and it would come back to me with all these like red crosses and, and lines that's not meditation you're mm -hmm. not meditating meditate like literally and it was like i kept getting this um feedback that i was a failure and Again, for somebody who's a high achiever, that's pretty hard pill to stomach. But I was like, no, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep at it. So I completed the course. I kept trying to do meditation. I started teaching. Um, so this is 2005. I, I, well, two, the, when was it? 2004, I started the course. 2005, I finished the course. And I was teaching and... I went to do these 10 day silent retreats of Vipassana, a Buddhist approach to meditation. And, and I just remember vividly having this experience one day. I was on the beach with my dog and I was running and I was loving it. I was looking at the oceans. I was loving the feeling of the kind of synchronized movement of my body and the breath and my, you know, my beloved dog beside me. And, and I just thought, you know what? I hate meditation. I hate it. Mm. <laughs> and I just, and I'm sorry for the viewers. We should have a, a language warning on here, but I, I literally went, fuck it. I, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. I hate it so much. It makes me tense and angry. I'm just going to go for a run instead yeah. and I'll keep teaching it. And so a few years went past and I, I was, I felt like a little bit of a, a fake and a phony because I was a yoga teacher and I was teaching stillness of mind. My instruction, you know, uh, language was all about stillness of mind and stopping the thoughts and bring your mind back to the breath. And, and those cues that we're all so familiar with, if you've been to a yoga class or a meditation class, but I wasn't doing meditation myself anymore. 
And then I attended, but I, I was at peace with that decision because I, it just made me feel and, and also during that phase of becoming a yoga teacher, practicing meditation, I was often unwell. I, my, I was often getting flus and cold sores. I had a, a, a really unhealthy relationship, romantic relationship with someone. And um, there was lots of aspects in my life that just weren't, I wasn't enjoying life. But I was a yoga teacher and teaching how to how to be happy. <laughs> um, I'm sure you weren't. I'm sure you're not the only yoga teacher out there who's teaching things that they don't necessarily embody. Yeah, was I think now, and so then I remember I I hosted this teacher who was a, a teacher from America, and and she read this line from a book called The Radiant Sutras. And I was in an asana class doing this very kind of fluid, dancey, you know, yoga practice, strong, and I was fit and strong and healthy. And then this line, this, this poem, this sutra was read and I just remember just going, what is that? <laughs> I need to know more about this, this, you know, sutra, this, this, this meditation. And, and so that led me to train with, and I thought it was just the yoga style. And I went and trained with Shiva Ray in Bali. And, and it was yeah. really through those two teachers that I found the radiant sutras. And I found the author of the radiant sutras. Um, his name is Dr. Lauren Roche. And it, from there in 2010, I heard he was coming to Australia. And I thought, no matter what, I have to go and train with this man and his wife, Camille Murine. So that was in Brisbane in 2010. And I went to this weekend long workshop. It was like a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday in this little community hall. And I was just blown away. I was like, I, I, I need more. I, need, I was like hungry. I needed to devour. It was like, finally. This is what I've been looking for, maybe since childhood. It, it was this beautiful, natural, instinctive approach to, to meditation that I'd maybe already been practicing as a runner, as a dancer. And anyway, so instinctive meditation. Um, do you want to speak about instinctive meditation a little bit, Michael? I, I th feel like I just took the mic a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I felt relieved anyway. It was like liberating yeah. and relieved. I was like, wow, that there is another way. That's what it was. It's like, finally, it's like a revolution inside, but a, you know, a, a feeling of freedom. And I was able to accept myself because previously I was ashamed. I was a failure and I kept getting reminded and reinforced this, this message that you can't, yeah. you can't meditate. Um, I yeah. think I think what you're saying is probably a lot of people have, mm. have experienced. Yeah? Mm. yeah, one of the things that you said there along the way was when you were talking about the Buddhist stopping this crazy mind, mm. the know? monkey minds, monkey yeah. minds. Yeah, yeah, stopping stopping this crazy mind and and what I think one of the great things about the approach of instinctive meditation is to recognize that it's natural when we give ourselves time and space to be with ourselves 
for thoughts to arise, for feelings to arise, sensations in the bodies to in the body to arise, and we are taught to allow that to happen and to hold ourselves tenderly inside that mm. you know, from a place from a place of, of love. And there's no this the discipline is to give yourself time and to not smack yourself around. But it doesn't feel like a discipline because it feels like a, a luxurious indulgence. Like you, you don't feel like, oh, I've got to go meditate. I've got to set aside 15 minutes. It's like, oh my God, I can't wait to meditate. Yeah. It's yeah. so yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, it's an invitation to be in love with your own life force, right? to feel that to feel that connection with yourself and and that naturalness of yourself and that's i think that instinctiveness that natural naturalness is what is what is rather than shooting for a goal one of the things i think that that i heard lauren say recently in one of his webinars was that there isn't a goal in the meditation practice so in this half an hour, I'm not going to achieve something. Yeah. Yeah. A successful meditator has a life that is fuller, richer, and has more love in loving for itself, better relationships. Mm. So, so the measurement of, of, of the quality of the practice isn't that I achieve something in my meditation, right? Mm. So, so there was no crossing out of with red pen after journaling your meditation, saying that that's a failure, that's a failure, that's a failure. Yeah, but it's but it's all, all of those things that that you had experienced during your teacher training, we would now say that is completely natural. That happens for everybody, and. To coach someone to love and accept that is what we do. Is what we do in our instinctive meditation approach. Hmm. And I think you know the the traditional um, approach, or, or what the wider population maybe have experienced of meditation. And in no ways do I want to express any disrespect for the traditions and the traditional yeah. approach. I, I think it definitely has a place and a value, and has brought, brought so much knowledge and into into the world and and um i just say do what works really you know for some people that approach is is really helpful and healthy maybe at some point in their lives um but i I feel like in some ways uh for us you know who live in the world and we you know have to go to work and we we've got dogs and children or stepchildren and partners and ex-partners and um, we, we do need something and we need our meditation not to be, you know, removing ourselves from life and just creating distance and, and shutting up and, and shutting down and, and stopping the thoughts. We need something that will help us to thrive in life and to, and to you know, have these, these skills to be able to navigate the wild ride that is life, that, that's rich with emotion and um, thought and and the highs and the lows and um, that that's what meditation should provide us this um, mm-hmm. uh, ability to be able to enjoy 
this one precious life that we have, but also uh, uh, the skills to be able to um, to not just tolerate and accept, but to, to appreciate that um, to, to be a human and to live a life that is rich and, and full and, fulfilling and, and meaningful we need to embrace the full spectrum of our emotions and our yeah. thoughts and and i think that was the, for me it's this key shift in our attitude in meditation that was different on the one side as it was like shut up don't listen to that thought yeah. just sit still and calm the mind yeah. and on the other hand it was like well just embrace the movement, make space for the moving minds, allow the flow of sensation. There's, there's sensation when you meditate, you, you feel yeah. things. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that, again, it's a very simple distinction, but it takes practice. And, and along the way, we're building skills. And sometimes we need a little help, which is where Lauren and Camille have, like you said, radically changed, not just meditation, but my whole life. Mm-hmm. My health and my relationships and my approach to to moving through through life and um, yeah and so I, I know you and I we've had a couple of um, opportunities to teach together and and we we came up with some rules. We did. <laughs> Do you want to talk about them? We did. And it's not just us; it's that it comes from Lauren and Camille. That's that's right. That's right. I suppose I suppose they're birth they're birthed out of Lauren and Camille's teachings. Um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on first, though, sure, is, is um, some people love to be to know that something's coming out of tradition. Sure. Yep. And there's going to be people who read this and say, "Well, what's the tradition that this this idea is coming from?" Um, we know that that Lauren has translated, transliterated a Sanskrit text that, that is hundreds of years old. Yes. You know, the Vinyana Bhairava Tantra is is held by the held by the Kashmir Shaivism. Yes. Lineage, yeah. Um, it comes out of out of the Himalayas. You know, it's not it's not something that he's made up sure. in the last 20, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. It's something he's lived in and out mm-hmm. of for the last 50 years mm-hmm. as well as the as well as the work that he that he's done in his phds sure at university of california so it's it's we've we've got we've had the the unique opportunity for someone who's 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 had a tradition been in tradition and they've said go and teach this to people who are living lives of westerners mm-hmm. rich full have jobs, have kids, have lovers. The 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 holders of the tradition, yeah, they were monks and swamis and 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 the like, who they were holding the tradition for us at this time to hand it over to us to live now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't want to. We don't want to 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 live the lives of nuns or monks. No, and they practice detachment, don't they? Detachment yeah. from those things. You just. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and in the in in the in in the text, the richness of the of the text gives opportunity for loving all of these things that are in us. 
loving the elements that we're made of, loving this, the instincts that come up as we live our life. Mm. Loving people, mm. Mm. loving our loved ones, seeing the face of face of a loved one. Yeah. The meditation practice is so much. But even in that, the first four or five sutras are all breath meditations, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's very a, tangible. Something all, we can all all, all all of the all of the traditions have focus on your breath. It's just that we don't focus on our breath. We don't concentrate. We, <laughs> we don't concentrate it. We let our breath be be be, mm. be a connection with the world and something and something to love and cherish. Yeah, to appreciate rather than control and yeah, watch. Yeah. So watching implies vision. It's to feel all the tangible, sensual textures of, of breathing and to find something that you love about breathing and that delights you. And we rather than focusing and concentrating on the breath, we're, we're just simply appreciating it, loving yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But when and I say simply, it's so rich as well. It's yeah, and all these things are simply doorways and gateways mm. to allow ourselves mm. to have yeah. life come up for us, yeah? yeah? Rather than saying, like I've got to get so back much. to that breath. Yeah. I've got to get back to that breath. If I'm not focusing on the breath, then I'm failing. No, it's not like that. It is, this is something that I love that much. And the feeling of the air coming in and going out, what's the interesting about it what's the there's an invitation there to mm. be with it and then what happens after that is the meditation yeah there's a yeah. doorway there's a gateway in with something that you love and then there's a flow that follows that and uh, rule uh, number one was when i follow that my own life force my own subconscious that comes up when I start to think about the to-do list or the shopping list, rule number one is I don't spank myself for thoughts that come up. Mm. No was, inner spanking. No inner spanking. That was rule number one, yeah? Yeah, and um, we're coming up to half an hour, Michael, and, and I mm. really want to try to keep it to 30 minutes. So maybe we can talk about the other rules um, in the next episode. But I, I just you, you brought up the word gateway and doorway. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think that's another really clear distinction of this approach that it, it feels appropriate to talk about that even on the cover, it says 112 gateways to the yoga of wonder and delight. Yeah. And so we use a gateway, which could be a million, billion, trillion things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we all have our own unique set of, of gateways and that's a whole nother conversation in itself. Yeah. But we, we use a, a tool or a technique, a, a, a mantra, a mind tool, such yeah. as the breath or such as, you know, a, a beautiful poetic sutra. We use it as a gateway or a doorway to go in, into our rich, vibrant, moving, yeah. flowing inner world. We don't cling to the gateway. We're not rigidly following this technique and bringing our mind back. It's sort of a loose, gentle, uh, like you said, an invitation. So we're yeah. using it as an invitation to dive in. And, and, and I think if you, we were to have, be goal focused and we're not, <laughs> we, you know, in the, in the course of our, um, journey of of instinctive meditation we're along the way creating a toolkit 
you know, like a carpenter has a tool belt. Um, yeah, yeah. You've got the little trolley with all the tools in there. And at any one time in your life, you'll, you'll have your own completely customized set of tools that are unique to you and work for you and loved by you that you would pull out at different stages and phases of your day or your life. Um, and, and again, instinctive meditation, it's instinctive. We instinctively create these customizable tools mm -hmm. and techniques that we yeah. will use as doorways in. And then we have That's this whole set of attitudes. Did you want to speak about doorways? The door, there's as many doorways as there are people, right? Mm, or, more. <laughs> or more. But there's, 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 then there's the skill set of acceptance and love within mm -hmm. the practice that is that is that is i suppose it's unraveling what people think mm. is supposed to happen in meditation mm. and recognizing that what happens to you and everybody happen what happens to everybody is completely unique mm. but it also happens to everybody yeah like unraveling or unlearning what we Unlearn yeah, unlearning what we think is supposed to happen in meditation practice. That's what we want to. That's what we want to help people to to do. I just want to say one little thing. On from my perspective, on the back of my mum's toilet door, <laughs> she had a she had a, had had a, had a thing by. I think it was written by Thomas Jefferson. And the last, one of the last lines of it is to know that someone has breathed easier because you have existed is mm -hmm. success. Yeah. 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 This is the, this, for me, this is the way that I believe that I look back when my life is, is successful is that if we can help people to understand and embrace this instinctive meditation, their lives will be more easeful. They'll, and breathe, they'll breathe easier they will live a richer life, you know? So for, so for me, this is the way that we do it is, is to give people the tools and the support to have a rich instinctive practice. Mm. Yeah. That's so that's beautiful. Right. You've that's got right. that meaning and purpose and passion and mm. and you know i often ask myself as well and, and and for a little while i was like what is my passion what is my passion and i think similarly i think a lot of the problems and issues with the world and we can look at environmentally you know humanitarily economically it, it could be reduced down 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 to this disconnect with ourselves yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yoga, and I use yoga and meditation sort of interchangeably. Yoga, means, yeah. yeah. Yoga means connection. Yep. And if we can help people, this is this is my big change the world <laughs> um, goal. If yeah. we can help people to feel that loving, um, beautiful, natural, instinctive connection to who they are and, and mm -hmm. embrace and, and love all of who they are. As you say, there's a ripple effect and that will go out and that will help heal relationships that they have with other people, heal them, heal their own relationship and others and, and have this beautiful, loving relationship to themselves and then to others. And that will 
maybe translate out into their life a little more the, the choices they make and in terms of you know food and environment and and you know who, maybe even who they vote for and all these things that there's a a why this uh it's all coming from that place the decisions and thoughts and actions and words that people use will come from that connected inner self yeah. rather than that sort of disconnected self but i think that's a really good place to end that it can oh, this practice you. can help you to reconnect to your passion and your purpose and and give you more pleasure and enjoyment and fulfillment out of your life and um hopefully we we can help guide you um along your journey that's what we want to do yeah, yeah. all right this has been great michael we'll see yeah. you next Especially time next week yes awesome tash 